face to face, hand to hand, film to film. Welcome to the Film to Film podcast. My name is James Shurkin. I am joined here by my good friend and fellow film enthusiast, Inyaki Lanero. How are you doing, Inyaki? Doing pretty well, James. How are you doing? Uh, not bad. Uh, apparently, the way I pronounced your name was specifically very weird today because Google Translate uh, <laughs> gave quite a strange translation. Um, so today, we are going to be going back to the mid-2000s uh, to 2005. Uh, and so talking about a film that's 16 years old now, uh, talking about Election, uh, made in Hong Kong uh, by Johnny Toe. Uh, I believe this is the first time view for you. Is that right? Yeah, I didn't know uh, Reese Witherspoon was uh, in Hong Kong during that era. <laughs> yeah, you know, her and Matthew uh, Broderick uh, did just teaming up for some great uh, electoral politics of the triads. I know. Um, no, it's a good movie. Good movie, though. Yeah, I, I was I was waiting for you. I was waiting for one of us to make that joke because uh, it had to happen. I think I- anyone that podcasts about this movie is required to make a joke about <laughs> the the Reese Witherspoon and, uh, Matthew Broderick one. Yeah, it's also a good movie, I think. But uh, <laughs> today, that's not what we're talking about. Uh, this is the first time view for you. Yes. Uh, yes, that's correct. Okay, great. And what what did you think of this on your first try? It was good. It was good. Um, it was nice to see uh, Hong Kong with some democracy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> no, but it, it was uh, it was a uh, it was a, a very uh, engaging and fun movie to watch. Yeah, I mean it's kind of funny. Uh, I mean this is one of the reasons I'm bringing it in, uh, sort of in this more autumnal season, um, just because it's uh, time to vote. Uh, at least it's going to be time to vote in about six weeks here in America. Uh, not a presidential election here, uh, nor are we electing a chairman for our local triad association. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, as seasonally appropriate as we're going to get in our individual lives. Uh, yeah, but it is kind of funny because they, they do make that joke at one point that they're like, oh, the triads have had uh, democracy longer than uh, Hong Kong has. And now I don't know if Hong Kong <laughs> will be having many more elections, uh, sadly. I mean, they, they, they might have uh, some sort of election. <laughs> yes. OK, um, well, I'm glad you liked it. This is my second view of the film. I saw this film um Probably, uh, I think it was 10 or 11 years ago when I was kind of going through uh, more of a Hong Kong deep dive and watching a bunch of different films uh, from from Hong Kong. Um, and it's interesting. Uh, it comes at sort of an interesting period in Hong Kong cinema, too. Hong Kong, of course, is known for a lot of their genre films, uh, 1970s, 1980s. Of course, their Wong Kar Wai films uh, in, in like the 90s and 2000s as well. Um, and this comes uh, post-handover, uh, which was in 1997. So it's 2005, so it's about eight years after that handover took place. But it is also very distinctly um, a Hong Kong film, and I've been reading a bit about it. And merely by sort of depicting the triad rituals and stuff like that, it was guaranteed to have a Category 3 rating, which is kind of their version of a NC-17, which means that you only had to be – means you had to be an adult to see the film. So – and – kind of doing a bit of research about it, the director, Johnny Toe, uh, specifically wanted this. It was important for him to have that sort of those cultural scenes in there. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Hmm. I um, I wonder uh, if 
because I mean here NC17 is like a very strong uh, rating but in, I, I know in other places like it's actually way more common to see uh, like over 18 rating and like over 18 ratings and things like that yeah I know that that's definitely true uh in the case of category three though it's very like uh it's very similar to nc17 people do not want to get that rating uh in general oh. uh because without that everyone can see it um but they knew they were going to get it uh by showing sort of that 15 minute sequence um with the triads and stuff like that because it's not especially violent I mean, there is there's certainly violence, but it's not like blood is flying at the camera or anything like that um, in that sense. So I think if they really wanted to, they probably could have gone for less than a Category 3 rating, but they probably would have had to uh, sort of um, uh, cut a lot of that triad-specific content. Wait, are we talking about like the uh, the ceremony scene? Yes, yes, exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, uh, back in this time, too, uh, Hong Kong had to rely a lot less on the mainland market. Um, so I think that's why you, this film is in Cantonese. Um, a lot of the films Hong Kong's cranking out these days are in Mandarin, even though it's not the native tongue of most uh, Hong Kong people. Um, so it's kind of, uh, I don't know, it, it's kind of this interesting transition time where uh, it's it's... A distinctly sort of Hong Kong film rather than being more of a uh, mainland Chinese flavor. Um, yeah. Hmm. Uh, okay. Uh, so at the time, uh, this film was really well received. Um, it was the fourth highest grossing film from Hong Kong that year. Uh, it did get significant play in the international circuits as well. I think it played, um, I'm not sure if it played in Cannes, but it played somewhere in Europe. Um, it won four different Hong Kong film awards, was nominated for nine. Um, Tony Leung Kafai, uh, who is also known as Big Tony, uh, not to be uh, confused with Little Tony, who's in like Shang-Chi and uh, Infernal Affairs and a bunch of the uh, Wong Kar Wai films, um, mm -hmm. won uh, for Best Actor, um, sort of as like the big loudmouth uh, gangster here, or triad. Um, Simon Yam was nominated but did not win, who plays sort of the quieter Lok, uh, and Johnny Toe and the movie both won. Um, so uh, it was a very, very successful um, sort of Category 3 outing uh, where that, that uh, rating was not a sort of death blow to the film. Uh, mm -hmm. Quentin Tarantino was a big fan of the film at the time. Uh, he called it one of the best films from 2005. Mm -hmm. um, so he was sort of like an early uh, sort of uh, uh, supporter of the film. Um, yeah, we'll get into a little bit more. We'll talk a little bit about Johnny Toe and stuff like that. I also saw recently that uh, Guardian released a list of the 30 best gangster films, and this was number 13 on the list. Uh, so I thought that was also kind of uh, fun to see that the film is also um, kind of more recently uh, been shouted out as well. Um, okay, uh, so let's get into a little bit about the movie. Uh, so uh, before we jump in, anything you want to touch on? Anything stand out to you? Um, I mean, I thought uh, that uh, there, there were some really cool shots in cinematography in this film uh, that really caught my attention. Uh, in, in a certain way, you, you could tell that there was a lot of uh, attention to detail. Uh, the music, uh, both its... The music was actually also very fun. It kept you pumped in the scenes that you were, you know, supposed to be pumped. And then, um, and then, you know, there was one song that was used both in the happy scene and then ironically on the 
on a not so happy scene. I, I think it, uh, I, I just really liked, I, I thought this was a very complete movie. It's just very well made overall. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that's one thing I like about Johnny Toe is like he's just a very superb craftsman. Um, he's the director of the film uh, as well as the producer. I'm glad you touched on the music too. Uh, I, I also think it works well with the film. Um, it sort of has like, some like more traditional bent where you can, it, like, it, it's classy. So you can play it sort of on like these triad uh, ritualistic scenes and, and it doesn't feel out of place. Um, but uh, it also kind of has, I don't know, it keeps on moving. I, I liked it. I thought it was well suited to sort of like the mood of the film. It gives it a certain like gravitas um, in a way that just sort of makes it uh, feel a little more, um, I don't know, a little more gravity uh, to the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like that. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think this film and just sort of like traditional uh, movie making stuff is just really well done. Visually, it's really good. Um, a lot of just stuff is done just through simple blocking and camera movement and stuff like that, that I think is pretty great uh, throughout the film. And it's just a it's just a very handsome looking film. Um, yeah, uh, I, I guess one last thing I, I kind of forgot to say was that uh, the 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 killing scenes or the death the few the few times that you had like oh you had death in this film uh where uh you don't have that many we're very far removed uh it reminds me of i, I always forget the name of uh the that horror the ja- that japanese horror film um with the hypnosis uh, oh cure cure you it reminded me of cure where you are kind of removed from the 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 violence uh you're seeing it uh framed far away from different those different moments yeah it's almost a little more distant uh in some sense uh it doesn't like have like the big swell um of like a hollywood film or maybe even a korean film from the same era mm-hmm. uh yeah uh one thing uh so here's a question for you um so this film is only 100 minutes long so it's a very reasonably length film um but i think it like it packs a ton of characters in it's hard for me to think of any comparisons of like similarly length films that have as many different characters in here uh and i think it does it really well um giving everyone's like super distinct nicknames and and like everyone has like a very uh everyone's got there's a lot of great faces that are different from one another that i think really benefit the film in a way uh that you can tell different characters apart uh mm-hmm. that being said there's a lot of characters packed in um can you think of like if you were to compare this film uh versus any other like gangster film or anything like that uh what what do you think the closest would be for you for some reason i thought of goodfellas when watching this film a lot interesting uh between that and the godfather those were like the two films that like most came to mind when watching it because you 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 had a little bit of uh um like you had the hothead which in goodfellas joe pesci here is you know this other guy and he i mean in both in both situations it's a character who should be important very powerful but also uh considered dangerous to the to the organization um you have and and when the godfather more in the like i guess it's like the main character uh not the main character but look it's more like i almost feel like uh sony corleone and like he's very thoughtful like you mean michael 
Michael. Oh, Michael. Uh, yeah, not, not Sony. Oh, Sony. Yeah, yeah. Sony, yeah, Sony is the, uh, my bad, Michael. Yeah. yeah. Michael yeah. Corleone were, you know, like methodical, thoughtful, but I mean, still, still not all there, you know. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, though that's uh, For me, it's this film is more Godfather than Goodfellas, even though that moment at the beginning where uh, Nick Chung's character, I forget what his character's name is, eats the spoon, uh, mm. it's, it does remind me a lot of Goodfellas, where it's like, oh, you think that's funny? I'll, I'll show you what's funny. And then he's like, eat the spoon. And mm-hmm. he just goes ahead and eats the spoon. That that scene definitely uh, did remind me a bit of uh, Goodfellas, where uh, like the Big D is like sort of the hot-headed guy. Uh, but you know, the Godfather also does have a hot-headed guy in um, uh, Sunny. Uh, yeah, Sunny. Referenced you're right. earlier. Yeah. Um, one thing I do really like. Uh, so I, for me, I think it's Godfather. But it's kind of amazing to me that this film packs so much into a film that's basically half the length. Um, you know, originally I was going to show this film with uh, the sequel, Triad Election, which comes out a year later, which covers the next election of the triads. Um, and it kind of looks at a lot of sort of the people that are in those rituals and that help to transport the, the baton and uh, kind of looks at the drama surrounding the next election with those people. Um, uh, and, and, you know, it's a good companion. I, I think that film is just as good as this one. Um, so in that sense, it also kind of reminds me of The Godfather in the sense that it has a really, really kick-ass sequel uh, that works quite well. Is it uh, better than the first one? Like uh, some people say The Godfather 2 is better than the first one. Is, this, is, that, is that the same case with here or not really? I'm of the opinion that The Godfather 2 is better than Godfather 1. I'd say, you know, I got to rewatch it. I, I saw that film the same time I watched the uh, the election the first time but on my initial watch i gave them the same rating and i think i slightly preferred the second one over the first one mm. uh, which is to say that it's good because i i really like this film on my second watch as well um yeah uh and one thing i sorry uh one thing i like about this film too um is also since we're talking about sort of the two leads Locke and big d is just sort of how we they contrast the two, uh, mm-hmm. especially like in sort of the entrances. We see them both sort of eating. We get like a sense of their personality. Locke is just like a lot more reserved, a lot quieter. We think he seems a lot more thoughtful, um, a lot smarter, and a lot more of a nice guy. And we almost just assume that just due to that sheer contrast of Big D, who's just like from the moment you see him, is just like very brash in your face. He's like shouting. He's making people eat spoons. Uh, he seems like a guy you wouldn't want to hang out with. Uh, mm-hmm. and he's just like making open bribes and stuff like that. Um, later we find out, you know, it sort of twisted in a way that we find out that Locke may not be such a nice guy after all. Um, but I, I like the way that it just sort of like contrasts the demeanors pretty, um, A to B, uh, in, in, uh, in like the first half an hour of the film. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I think what, well, if you were to point how this film did it, quicker or shorter is that the characters are more are more obvious like i mean with uh, with the godfather um you know the the character like the all the traits of the characters take a while to build in uh because you know they're not they're not exaggerated in this one they were exaggerated you know off like off the bat like big d asshole right away uh, like that's why Big D reminded me of Joe Pesci's because Joe Pesci's kind of like that. It was just right away, as opposed to the Godfather. Like Sonny Corleone, he's more subtle. You learn that he's like rash and brash and all that, but 
but he's more subtle at first as, as, a, as a film. It builds in as you get to know him. Here, first scene, eat a fucking spoon. Don, and then the guy eats it and he's like, wow, you're, you're a fucking dog that follows any order. I, I, you know, shit like that. Uh, While well, the other guy, it's like right away, like all, all of his first scene, he's like eating with his son, being a family man. So it's like, you know, it, 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 through the medium right away, it it's puts each character in their, pl- in their place. And I think also the movie kind of knows that uh, who's, whoever's watching it already saw The Godfather. So they already know these characters. Like, you know, like I, I wouldn't be surprised the directors watch The Godfather and he's like, all right, you know, the, the, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Johnny Toe. Johnny Toe. No, oh, no, that's a director, right? Uh, no, yeah. I was, no, I was thinking of uh, uh, Uncle Tang. Oh, Uncle Tang. Yeah, Uncle uh, Tang, who who kind of is who's almost like the Godfather in this film, like the the first, you know, the Marlo like Brando character. Yeah, yeah. Had he not died uh, uh, or been shot. And, and like, you know, and you get it right away. He's like, oh, fat guy, talks low. He's just very calm and collected. He drinks tea. Yeah. Uh, he makes tea, you know. He, he seems very wise. Uh. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, 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 but, I mean, like, you get all of them. Uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the guy who's, like, drunk right away, you see him drunk. I don't know. Like, I, I think it's part has to do with the characterization. The film right away puts each character uh, like the like right away like that's the first thing you see is oh this guy is an alcoholic oh this guy is blah 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 uh, you know and 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 I, and I think the Godfather took took a while to build onto that and that that's where this movie made that shortcut to make yeah yeah, yeah. Quick. no I, I think you're right I mean the Godfather is so much more of a slow build and I I mean I think you and I both I, I we've never talked about the Godfather actually but I'm I'm a big fan of the Godfather I mean I think it's one of the the best films um I, but, I think I, I think I still have your DVD set of the Godfather okay there you go <laughs> okay <laughs> well uh the Godfather is much more of a slow build um and uh this film I feel like if you step away from this film even to just grab a snack for like 30 seconds or something like that you're gonna miss something uh mm-hmm. this film just moves it has a ton of economy and just there's it feels like there's hardly any space or shots wasted and stuff like that um so in that sense it's almost just like this super stuffed 100 minute uh gangster epic because I, I do feel like this film gives that sort of like more epic feel despite having um you know, a, a much shorter runtime than those, and that's just kind of what with what you said, where it's just like it's not wasting any time or or having any. It doesn't have the time for a sort of a slow build. It's like Big D. His name is Big D, so we we kind of have an idea of his personality from right from the get go, and he's just shouting stuff at people, and it's like, okay, yeah, we we know exactly who this character is and uh, why, and then we contrast it with Locke, and we just see him like calmly eating chicken or something like that, or with his son. And it's like, okay, I, we have some idea of this guy uh, too. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, uh, cool. Uh, so. Uh, one thing that I do think is probably easier for Hong Kong audiences, and I listened to a great podcast on this before, a podcast on fire, um, that just sort of talked a little bit more from like an insider's perspective on the Hong Kong film industry, is that uh, 
This film does have a lot of sort of inside touches to it. Supposedly, Johnny Toe has, like, relatives that were involved in the triads and stuff like that. So it took Ooh. a lot of, like, just sort of attention to detail in sort of, like, creating uh, sort of that rich tapestry and stuff like that. And how some of that stuff might sort of float over non-Cantonese, uh, non-Hong Kong uh, natives' heads in a way uh, that, you know, like... Uh, someone watching the comparison they made is like someone from Hong Kong watching The Irishman uh, or Goodfellas or something like that. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting too. Uh, did uh, I personally? Uh, I mean, I I do have uh, Cantonese roots, but I'm very disconnected from that sort of society. So I, I'd say I probably view it from far more of a lens of uh, an outsider in that sense. Um, but uh, I don't know. It, it's good to hear, uh, but it also makes me feel like I probably did miss out on certain uh, details and stuff. Um, how do you feel about sort of like those ritualistic stuff uh, shown sort of halfway through the film um, where we show like uh, uh, Locke uh, taking uh, control and sort of making um, a family with, uh, I don't know if family is the right term, uh, with brothers. Like, Brothers, there you go. Uh, sort of like forming that brothers uh, with like six or seven of the people that helped him uh, get the baton. I mean, it looked cool. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I like, yeah. I, I'm not sure if I, I missed out on anything. To, I mean, you know, I, I, I have zero. Uh, going going back with the comparison with with the Godfather, I guess. Like, you, The Godfather has, like, those dinners and have, like, some sort of scenes like that similar. And I'm like, I could say openly, I have zero Sicilian background and zero, you know, like, Cantonese background. And I don't know anyone who's ever been a member of any kind of gang. For me, these were all very uh, interesting ways of learning about things. Like, I, I actually didn't... I knew that triads were uh, a, a type of organized crime in China. Uh, I had no idea of them that they were they followed the Ming Dynasty uh, or that they, they were like, you know, uh, Mingist if that's a word. Um, and, and that was really cool to learn. Uh, and you know, and I took the ceremony at face value until someone else tells me, no, no, that's bullshit. And I'm like, okay, so I'm guessing that, you know, they, they kill a live chicken and they all drink out of a fucking bowl. And, you know, they, and, uh, and you know, you get a thousand uh, uh, lightnings for some, for certain forms of tra- transgressions. Okay. So, so it is, uh, you are a visitor in this world. Yeah. And, okay. and, and, and I don't mind it. And I don't mind it. And if someone, if, if you were like, oh, I know what this means and you explain it to me, I would enjoy it even more. I find it more richer. And I mean, I agree with you with the, the missing out, but the whole point is, yeah, obviously. <laughs> obviously, yeah, I'll yeah. be missing out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just interesting to hear that the film sort of works on like these different levels where it's like you and I can enjoy it uh, as more of like outsiders to it. But And I think that's perfectly fine. I mean, that's, of course, what they would probably expect from an international audience. But it is... Uh, Nice to hear that they have sort of that extra attention to it as well. Well, but I, I, so I'm kind of curious now that you mentioned this, um, uh, whether if you were, let's say, Cantonese, you would necessarily understand all of this. Because you mentioned how the, the uh, director 
on people who uh, knows or work, has worked with people who were in the triads and things like that. So maybe there were very like there were some stuff that only people who have been in a, in a triad would know, and not even like your average Joe in in Hong Kong. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, we wouldn't be the ones to uh, fact check that. That's for sure. Yeah, and I guess that's why I brought up the whole Sicilian thing. Is like. I cannot fact check anything from <laughs> The Godfather or Goodfellas or anything, right? Uh, That's true. And, you know, I'm thinking of the Irishman comparison, too. It's like when it's like Jimmy Hoffa. I barely knew who Jimmy Hoffa was uh, before I watched The Irishman. So I was right there on Wikipedia after I watched that film. Uh, sort of, I was like, oh, okay. Now I understand a little bit better the cultural context to this. Right. And But, but after that, I mean... You understand the cultural aspect, but then again, all the internal shit. Maybe, maybe uh, Scorsese knows people who were uh, like different gangs, and he puts some, you know, some Easter eggs that only former mobsters know. And it's like, <laughs> fuck, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. The movie's um, three hours long, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's much longer than this one. Uh, Scorsese could probably use a little bit of that uh, Johnny Toe economy in some of his films lately. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, uh, so let's get back to the film. Uh, so, uh, as there's a ton of characters in this film. Uh, besides the big two of like Big D and Locke, uh, did anyone stand out to you? Um, I mean, I, I really like uh, Uncle Uncle Tang. Uncle Tang, yeah, I really like Uncle Tang. I thought, even though he's not there uh, very often, his presence is just very. Uh, it's just very big. I mean, from the uh the the this to me one of my favorite scenes is when they were the they are uh they're debating uh who's gonna be the president and they're just like openly debating and then you know some people are bribed some people are not who who the fuck knows who cares i mean just, but the, but they're talking about like uh all that stuff and then you know uncle tong is just like tea's ready and it's just like <laughs> Every the whole scene stops for tea, and right there you see this jolly man, and then right th and right after he's like he says sets down the law, and it's like, look, we all get bribed, but that shouldn't cloud our our, our way of viewing things. Big D bribed everyone a lot more than uh, luck, but you know, I like luck because he actually cares, and that's it, and that's why I'm voting for him. And then with him just saying that everyone voted for luck, and you're like, damn, and th that presence. I don't know. Same with like some little details with his character uh, when he's uh, when uh, when he's talking to Big D in uh, at the jail cell, and it's he's the way he holds his like open pants because he's like big fat fat dude, but he's <laughs> he's just holding his open pants, but in a way almost like I don't give a shit. Uh, you know, it's like I I I am walking towards you holding my pants, and I'll tell you, hey. We're gonna go to war if we do this, and yeah, I don't care what you're gonna say. <laughs> no, I'm very glad you pointed that out. I, I think the guy has a great presence to him. Uh, he's he's like the uh, uh, what's what's guy uh, James Clyburn of this film, where he uh, you know he endorsed Biden and and then everything just goes goes the way. So uh, he was the uh, great endorser of Locke, and he kind of swayed the election that way. But in terms of just like. I think it shows kind of what I was talking about earlier where Johnny Toe just knows how to cast these different presences and stuff like that. And the guy hardly has to say anything uh, just mm -hmm. to seem like 
like the most important person in the room. He's just like, T's ready. And everyone just shuts the fuck up and listens to him. And uh, he gives like probably like 25 seconds of speech. And that's enough to just sway the whole election. And that basically sets in course uh, uh, just sort of the plot of the rest of the film. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I am I also like how that's done. Uh, and I, I, I like the atmosphere of those scenes too. There's sort of like these very smoke-filled rooms. Um, and like there's a ton of teacups and stuff like that and just slowly pouring out tea. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, I, I like that. Uh, the, that actor, uh, Uncle Tung, was played by Wong Tin Lam who is one of a very old school film director too. He was the mentor of Johnny Toe actually. Mm. Um, He sadly, uh, but probably not unexpectedly, did not live too much long after this film. He died about five years later at the age of 83. Uh, He he doesn't look like someone that's going to be uh, living uh, too long much after this film. But uh, 83 uh, for his body type is... It's pretty good. It's pretty good, yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but yeah, I, I thought he, uh, I agree with you. I think he's good. Um, I mean, and, and then obviously the movie there wants to, wants you, uh, people to like, or not like, but to pay attention to other characters. I mean, there's the, the, the guy with a short, like slightly chubby guy with a short hair and goatee. I forget his name now. Uh, the, the, the thousand, the thousand knives man. That's kind of what I wrote. Oh, big head. Big head, yeah. You, <laughs> Another got, great name. <laughs> I know. Uh, so you, you got Big Head on. I mean, he's memorable mainly for because he he always almost talks entirely in in chants. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you got you know the pretty guy, uh, Jimmy. Uh, the, the yeah, Jimmy, the student. Yeah. And, you, know, and you, you tell me if this is wrong. I yeah. I, I sorry to interrupt, but. Did Jimmy's scene where he was at the college remind you of Stringer Bell? No, no, it did not. It did not. But do you know uh, what I'm talking about? How, like, yeah, because Stringer... Uh, Stringer Bell was in, uh, he was taking um, Community econ, college course. Yeah, yeah. Community college, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, I, I was thinking more of that scene in one of the Politeskis, um where... Um, I think, yeah, I think it was that movie, uh, the mustached man who gets angry and wants to like attack a mob or like not a mob, but you know, like a bunch of like criminals because they they kidnapped him at, at a bank. And street one law. Of the, yeah, street law that one. And uh, there was like the the guy who he he basically forces to help him was like a student. I remember like, when you introduced to him as a student. So I thought of uh, that. Okay. Maybe it's because I knew uh, knew his future role in it that I was like, ah, yeah, I wonder if uh, Johnny Toe saw The Wire before this. It's like, going to stick this guy in an economics class where they're just speaking English uh, <laughs> to set him up. I mean, I thought it was a cool setup for a character. Okay, so... Yeah, it's, I, it's, a, yeah, I, it's, a, it's a cool setup. It's a cool intro. Um, but I mean, he's, he's, that character is so much different than Stringer Bell, too. Though. That's why I guess I couldn't... Um, in the next in triad election, he has a much bigger part, and uh, oh. he. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen the film, but he does remind me a little bit more of Stringer Bell in that one. Well, also, you watched it like right after watching The Wire. True, true. It was right around the same era. Yeah. 
so uh, sorry, I interrupted. So you're talking about Big Head and uh, uh, Jimmy, uh, who was in the community college. Was that uh, was that a community college? I thought that was a like a straight up university. Okay, sure, straight up university taking an English course. I probably just assumed community college from Stringer Bell. Yeah, because I was gonna say that that's a very large uh, lecture hall. Yeah, know. look, it looks too nice. Yeah, I was gonna say. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I think I was done. <laughs> I, mean, I was just gonna say, like, I mean, the, the film clearly highlights those characters more. I mean, there are a couple. There, there's the alcoholic uncle, but I mean, like, to be honest, when it came to the uncles, like, there were a lot of uncles, and yeah, I'm sorry, I, I lost track of them. I had a hard time keeping track too, because there was like a bunch of them, and they all. That's where they started to blend together too. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think probably the only one that was like a little more important than the others was Whistle, who was the previous mm-hmm. chairman. Um, yeah. But other than that, uh, yeah. One one other scene because you brought up uh, Big Head too that I think everyone has to bring up when they talk about this film too is that it's set up really well. Is uh, one of my favorite scenes of the film at least is where the sort of he gets betrayed by the guy driving the truck. And so mm-hmm. the guy just takes the keys and bounces. So Big Head knows what's going on. So he bounces too. But because he's, you know, a little chubby, uh, the other guy, uh, Kuhn, I think is his name, catches up to him and starts beating the crap out of him, basically. Uh, Big Head yeah. starts crawling away. Uh, love how that scene's set up. And he's just beating the crap out of him. And then they both get a call simultaneously. And uh, the guy that Kuhn is working for, one of the uncles, uh, basically switches sides from uh, Big D to Locke. And so now now those two are on the same sides uh, after Kuhn has just beaten the shit out of him. And mm-hmm. so uh, 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 Big Head uh, gives him the baton uh, to carry on and then I presume goes to get medical attention. <laughs> and I, I, am, uh, I thought that scene was like very dark but also very funny in a way that I really enjoyed. Yeah, no, for sure. I, 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 I laughed too. Uh, I mean... In real life, I think he should have been dead. Um, <laughs> but instead, he just cursed a thousand lightnings and knights and all that. <laughs> uh, I I mean, the movie really shows like how loyal all of these characters are. Sure. To an extent. To an extent. Uh, <laughs> I think loyal, we could... loyal to oh. the, the, the direct, uh, their direct bosses. Okay. I... I... I think, yeah, I mean, it, that is true. Uh, there is very little sort of like turmoil of like underlings uh, sort of revolting against those above them. But we do see a lot of like uh, twists and turns, especially amongst the top brass, uh, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, uh, so let's see. Uh, a couple of other things that stood out to me. Um, I liked, uh, I thought the crate torture where they just had a couple uncles in there and tossed them down hills was really effective. Um, having know. been to Hong <laughs> Kong a couple times, it is like, I, I live in a very hilly city in Seattle. Um, Hong Kong is on another level. That thing is extremely steep. So I have seen some of those hills. Oh man, that is a, that is a brutal torture. I mean, if, if I had any complaint, uh, it's probably that there should have been like more projectile vomit just like spewing out of the the crates as they're falling down <laughs> if you wanted it to be more accurate but that was uh that uh, that that uh I, I i i thought that was a well carried out torture that was fairly creative i i thought i i thought they would have died 
<laughs> to be honest. <laughs> like I, I, I was like, all right, so that's his way of killing them. Did cool. they? Did they not die? I mean, nope. they should. Okay. <laughs> no. So one of one of them was the alcoholic uncle, uh-huh. uh, the gambling addict, and I mean, like he's had like a fucking care home at the end uh, where Jimmy is like caring because he was the, uh, Jimmy's direct boss. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy is like carrying him with on a on a wheelchair, and he's just like, uh, "Yeah, if you're not planning to go go all the way up, just leave. Don't be like me." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, well, you kept track of that uncle better than me. I I kind of lost track of which two uncles were getting tossed down. Um, but that basically sets into motion sort of like the next part of the plot. Where Big D's plan after he loses the election is basically to mess up those two uncles um, and then uh, uh, capture the baton um, from Whis- Whistle. Or is his name Whisper or Whistle? Whistle. Whistle. Okay. Uh, so uh, get it. So Locke doesn't get it and Big D does. Uh, but meanwhile, they're all locked up. And that, you know, that's one thing I like about this film. We, we're talking about how there's like so many different characters and stuff like that. But in some ways, the plot can really be distilled down to just a few di- different details that are really like the most important things to understanding the plot. The election, Locke wins. Uh, Big D gets upset and sort of shakes it up uh, and is trying to get the baton. Locke eventually gets the baton, but cuts a deal with Big D and sets us up for our grand finale, which we'll talk about, um, I think, in a little bit. Um, so I like how the plot is just really well constructed in the sense that you almost have like different levels and it, you can sort of work out how many details you actually want to follow um, because there's a ton of details for there. You can sort of keep track. Um, but also the plot is relatively simple uh, in mm-hmm. the end. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, any uh, scenes stand out to you besides uh, kind of what we talked about? Um, I mean, yeah, we're going to... Let's see, let's see, let's see. Well, I mean, there's a car chase scene. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking right now. Um, the, the one where the cop gets run over? Yeah, I mean, it's a slow chase, but it's still a car chase scene. Uh, well, so one thing I... I guess before going into any particular scene, I liked, uh, I, I felt that, that this movie did a good job at showing you Hong Kong. Uh, like I've seen other Hong Kong films and it, it's just, they're just city, city, skyscraper, city, city, skyscrapers. While this is more gritty, uh, you get to see, you know, the the, the different uh, people doing deals in the on the boat by the... Uh, I don't know, but, you know, a certain border between Hong Kong and, and I don't know, even with mainland, but yeah, I mean, China. you know, mm-hmm. uh, you also do experience uh, some of the city, but more at the street level. I mean, in, in a way, I thought you, I guess because of all the Italian films, the Politesi films that we saw before, I felt like this sort of uh, also used the environment really well when it came to showing you the city and the people around it. Um and I thought that was kind of cool, um, but then yeah, when it, uh, and and I also uh, the the other thing I guess uh, I mean you talked about the crates and that was really I mean the boxes you know on the hill and that's pretty good. Um, I don't know. I mean uh, I, ha- I have a couple notes, but let's uh, let's see where you go. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I just to sort of top on back of what you're saying, uh, I also like how it sort of opens and like the, as you said, Hong Kong is very much a city, uh, so it makes sense that so many of the films would start there, but it also makes sense how these triads would be sort of operating at the outskirts, so that was definitely one of my notes too, um, how it sort of opens where both Big D uh, sort of like hops on this like fish boat uh, that it's sort of like very rickety and uh lock also seems to be sort of in the outskirts of like this sort of like grassy hillside area uh having chicken and stuff like that so i like how it shows that i mean you even go on top of those hills where 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 the crates the scene that we just talked about um is in there but we also spend a fair amount of time in the city too um okay well uh, i want to slowly move towards sort of the uh lock and big d stuff um but before that uh talk a little bit more about Locke. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of how they uh, do this character. Big D is almost the exact opposite in the sense that Big D, we know who he is instantly. Locke is a lot qu- slower, and we find out more and more about him and how he's kind of in a complete... Uh, he's kind of just as bad as Big D uh, at the end, but we find that out much, much more slowly than Big D. He almost has very, very little to do in the film until he finally gets out of jail um, about, I don't know, 50 minutes into the film, halfway, maybe even a little bit more, um, just because stuff is going on and then the police tosses everyone in jail, uh, I think, basically to stop uh, bloodshed from happening. They don't want war, uh, so they're trying to do damage control. Um, Mm -hmm. And so when he finally gets out, uh, then we start to see him and see just how ruthless uh, he can be. One of his uh, first things he does is he gets out and he kills uh whistles i have whistle and whisper in my notes so apparently i could not get that name straight so he kills uh whistle he has whistle sons killed immediately and it's just like this this guy seems like the most level-headed guy uncle tongue who also seems like a good level-headed guy backs him up uh and like his first act out of prison is basically to kill whistle's son uh to help bail out be a big d to sort of gain i don't know if leverage is the right word but to gain some cachet uh, with Big D. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, did you have any thoughts on Locke and, and uh, Simon Yam, who portrays him? Um, I mean, I, I think... Uh, I, I, I think that, that I, I agree with you. that The movie plays a little bit with your expectations, but at the same time, it doesn't. His character doesn't really change. It's really your understanding of what his character is that changes, perhaps. And by that, I mean, you know, you, you hit on the nail right away. He, the, the first thing you get from him is uh, calm and collected. He is calm, collected. He thinks about things. He processes things. That doesn't mean he's not going to take the hard choices, which is what he, or, the, or the, the, the violent choices, which is what he does. Like, they know that Whistle uh, puts, puts in the, uh, can put the whole brotherhood in danger. Get rid of him, one way or another. Um, so if it's killing his son, yeah. If it's, but at the end of the day, it, you, it, it's like it's a very logical step. Like nothing that he does is not lo- like is illogical. Like everything actually makes sense. He's, and, and I feel like the movie at the end reinforces what the, the, it first shows you. Right? It, he's a patient man who is very thoughtful about his process, but his process is still brutal. He's still yeah. a fucking criminal. Yeah, he's just as much of a of an evil character as Big D, if not more so. I like, mean, the, the, if you think about the most horrific acts committed in this film, uh, it's definitely done by Locke. 
we don't we don't see what big uh, big d does we don't like, we don't but, but, that's but why we, i say the, but the worst I, stuff I, I, we yes. mm. yeah no for sure but i mean i think i i can easily assume that big d does this kind of shit all the time too i mean there, there were even references of like one of the uncles being completely beat up because he forgot he did not show the id and and and, and there, he was beat up by big d's man and big d probably gave the order I and mean, you know like just to show yeah. a show of force yeah i mean uh, he also threw the uncles down uh he also threw I mean, some senior uh, citizens down down the hill so i mean that's he's, straight up torture so i mean yeah, yeah. none of the none of these people are good people this is like yeah. you, you're watching a bunch of gangsters doing gangster shit yeah but uh, if you're talking about killing women and children uh Locke is the one that actually does that in this film you're right, but I mean that's because you're assuming that Big D hasn't done it, and, and I, I wouldn't put that. I, I would put oh, that oh. assumption aside. No, no, I wouldn't either. I'm just saying that, like, mm-hmm. if, if we're to solely judge off of what we see in the film, uh, I, I, they're both terrible human beings. I mean, yeah. everyone's a terrible human being. It's like even Coon just like runs over cop, and it's just like, yeah, gotta get away. And I'm just like, yeah, come on, drive faster, get out. <laughs> you gotta get out of there. You gotta get so, that baton to lock. Yeah, like I like he's like, oh, I run over a cop, and he's like, damn it! All right, we'll we'll, we'll take care of that later. You know, like <laughs> yeah, it's like totally from the triad's perspective, which is like totally this totally messed up. But yeah, I mean, like if you if you stop and think about this stuff, it's like yeah, these are just like all of these people are just like hor- horrible human beings. Well, I mean, in in, in that concept, it, it makes me think a little bit of Pulp Fiction, like. Like in Pulp Fiction, all the all the characters are horrible people. They probably all have killed, killed women and children. We don't know. What we do know is that we are seeing everything in their perspective, and that's it. And and what we're seeing is just gangster doing gangster shit. As, yeah. Uh, and, and that's it. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get back to Locke here. Uh, did you have any more thoughts on uh, sort of where you were going on that? No, I mean, I I personally thought Locke was. Uh, for a movie that is so colored with characters, I thought Locke was a good character, but it was one of the bunch. Uh, I, I think this is, for me, this film was more of an ensemble film. Oh, um, 100% agree. Mm-hmm. And and there's no main character. Uh, there There's actually... The arc doesn't. There's no arc really when it comes to you know characters' personality or way of change or learning or anything like that. It, it's more about. It's almost an arc that has happens with you when watching the movie, uh, the audience. Um. So I mean, to me, Locke. Locke was probably not the most interesting character, uh, to a certain point. Because I mean, when he does things, I don't know. I was like, for some. Uh, I mean. This is spoiler fooled, so whatever. Uh, you know, when, when he ki- kills Big D, I was not surprised. <laughs> I was like, I was kind of wa- waiting. It's like, when is he going to kill Big D? Because I, it was just like, that was the reasonable thing to do. Like, he, putting y- yourself in that mindset where they follow this triad almost as a fucking religion. And Big D wanted to change that. Right, right. Uh, you know, I I remembered that he killed Big D, but I had forgot how they did it. So in my head, it was going to be some sort of a Godfather-like killing. 
um, where it was going to have sort of like this very like betrayal feel, which it also does. But the way that it happens is actually uh, extremely impulsive. But yeah, let's talk about the end of the film. But I want to start a little bit before that where they commit the uh, ultimate act of brotherhood together, uh, one of which uh, you and I have done together too, uh, where they get together and they, uh, they, they kill someone. Just kidding. Just kidding. We have not done that, to be clear. <laughs> but the uh, ultimate uh, ultimate thing of butter, brotherhood. I, I'm a big fan of that scene, too, where they're just hanging out in the oyster bar. Uh, the garage closes, and then uh, they think uh, we're not sure if Big D is going to, like, side with Locke or if he's uh, actually going to – and he ends up siding with Locke, and they uh, kill the guy together. I mean, I think this scene is probably one of uh, uh, Toe's – uh, best scenes in my opinion um, it, it's just so well set up I mean if, if there are twists in this film uh, in this movie this scene is one of those uh, it does set up it's Big D I think Big D has probably the biggest arc in this film uh, they set up Big D as a hothead uh, as a guy who doesn't like luck uh, uh, a guy who's will, who's willing to quit or and create his own society uh, because he was not elected president all that stuff so I mean you assume Big D is going to be the, uh, the person who's going to the treason is, like, who's going to commit treason and the way they, it's set up where luck arrives you got one shot of Big D sitting on a, on a table everything is dark except for the table lit and Big, uh, and Big D holding a cigarette or some smoke just lo- looking cocky as hell and you're like oh shit Big D gonna fuck over luck, and then you know, then you have the closing of the uh, uh, of the restaurant and macheting the other the other opposing gangster instead. I think was just very beautiful, and then the killing itself. Uh, this is one one of those where uh, you know it reminds me of Cure. Cameras far away, you kind of just see them beating beating him up as he's wrapped on on a rug. And Big D's just hitting him with different bottles that they keep on breaking. Uh, there's a little bit of comedy, but it's also just a very well shot scene. Uh, well shot, well lit. The way the the, the the framing actually is hides the twist so well too. Uh, showing the intentions. That I, I mean, I think that was one of my highlights for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very well staged. Uh, the whole thing, I I think you put it very well. I don't have too much more to add from that. Um, yeah, because you like legitimately don't know what direction it's going to go uh, at that point. Uh, where like we've just seen a little bit of a reconciliation between the Big D and Locke, uh, so we honestly don't know if he's going to take advantage and and it goes uh, uh, a way that. We're not sure. Uh, so, yeah, I thought I thought it was really well done, too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, one other scene right before that, too, before we get to the ending, I, I also wanted to highlight, because I thought this was also really well done, is the scene where they take the car ride together, and that's the first scene. You know, it's interesting, because we have three scenes at the end with those two characters together, uh, all of which are really, really, like, a lot of stuff happens in those mm-hmm. scenes. But up until that point, we don't see a single interaction between the two. Um, and that's the scene where they're it, the scene I'm talking about is their first scene together where they take the car ride together. They the both have, have, yeah, they both have 
their cars following them. We see sort of the reflections of Hong Kong coming on their mirrors, and they're just sort of like going over all the different assets they have. They're like, oh, yeah, we have this and this and this and this, and then uh, then they stop at a light, and we just sort of hear the train track. Fantastic use of sound design there, um, where he's mm-hmm. like, get out uh, if you... Uh, if you're out, uh, otherwise stay in the car and I'll, I'll know you're with me. And he ends up staying in the car and they, uh, and it's just a very tense scene, very, very well timed. And, uh, and it ends with them, uh, kind of like <laughs> dancing together with like silly pop music. Um, so I, I, uh, I really like how they do that stuff and I like how it's done, uh, without like sort of over explaining it or over, uh, using dialogue or something like that. Uh, and it's done with the more like just, uh, visual and audio. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. That was uh, probably my second highest, uh, highest scene. I mean, I, my quote is amazing suspense at a red light. <laughs> uh, yeah. and I mean, yeah, it's because you, 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 what, what's, what's, what's amazing is because you know that nothing big is going to happen at that moment. Yeah. And by big, I mean, uh, th- there's not going to be any shootout. It's not, you know, your, your Mexican standoff, as, uh, you know, other films or whatever. No, all you know is that as soon as Big D walks out of that car, war will start. And the movie already explained to you all of that. Throughout throughout the movie, it's already explained what that means. It's explained how many people will die. It's explained how many, how Hong Kong will go to shit because of the, so in the car ride, they don't need to explain anything to you because the movie already put it in your mind. You already know that uh, this gang is the biggest gang in Hong Kong, but it's actually quite a, a, a quite small gang when it comes to members. Uh, and they keep everything else in check. So if they die, or if they go to war, which means they die, the police will be fucked with hundreds and hundreds, hundreds of gangsters because no one else is going to be keeping them in check. Shit like that. And I mean, that and that red light literally means between not just... The, the 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 gang the 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 family being broken up, but it means the end of Hong Kong as the movie sets it up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like literally super tense, even though literally nothing actually happens, like in terms of actions or stuff like that in the film. And it's the implications. It just, yeah, and it just slows it down to this moment, um, and it's just really really well done. Um, yeah. So I, I thought that uh, that was good too. Uh, the film really concludes on a bang, doesn't it? It starts with that, then we go to <laughs> sort of that. I, I like I like the really silly dancing to pop music stuff mm-hmm. and the way that it just ends up sort of playing uh, kind of poignantly at the end. Yeah. Um, and then finally, uh, we've been sort of beating around the bush here, uh, but talking about the actual conclusion where they are fishing together, and uh, they're just sort of having a conversation, and then. Just uh, circumstantially, uh, Mrs. Big D, which is literally how she's credited in the credits, <laughs> Mrs. Big D has to get up and go. And so she asks uh, uh, Locke's son, uh, Danny, uh, to come along. And so they go. And then so so they start talking about business. And uh, Big D just sort of floats the idea of having two chairmen. Um, and Locke sort of initially is like, oh, yeah, uh, is is like not saying no. And then, kind of out of nowhere, he just beats his head in um, with a rock, and right. uh, and then he has to also clean up Mrs. Big D. So he chases her down, 
and uh, uh, does the uh, does the double murder um, mm. in a way that like leaves his son just like super traumatized. Mm. Um, and you know, uh, we talk about sort of how the film sort of breezes through some other human trauma. It's like when uh, whistle whistle whisper whatever uh, his son dies and stuff like that or uh the cop gets run over that stuff uh you know we we see that very much through the triads perspective as in like those are obstacles and stuff like that um and this one i feel like it really shows the human impact um uh, specifically with mrs big d dying and danny having to witness it too um so i think that sort of like adds this like really really extra human element um and like a really emotional core to the film uh that previous to that moment it didn't have and i think in that sense um uh you know you may expect it or you may not it sounds like you kind of expected it coming um but i think it plays super well so this is the part where you know like movies can have like some movies can rely entirely on twists and if you have the twist you know if you already know the twist the movie will be ruined and other movies are so well made that, you know, uh, a twist will not ruin that that film. This is one of those examples. Uh, I, as I said before, I thought, like, just by, by looking at the character, by, by, by seeing how he works and all that, especially after knowing that he killed the son, uh, uh, a whisper son, uh, Whistle. No, fuck, you're, you're fucking me over too now. <laughs> uh, you know, he killed Whistle's, uh, Whistle's son. Um the like like you know that you know he will do every everything to protect the uh the society the way that it is and not change it and that he will have to clean up and big d is a huge problem so i mean you know he's gonna kill him but how it's done again this is one of those where like it changes the complete the, the perspective right you have them being friendly. You have them like spending time together, almost like a family, right? Uh, and there is that small pause before he kills Big, uh, Big D, where he's looking at, at the fish he just caught, like his 20th fish, because the guy is patient, thoughtful, all the characteristics we talked about. While Big D is yelling at the, at the, uh, the water, like cursing <laughs> at that there are no there It's are like, no I'm fishes. A, I need a hand grenade. <laughs> Yeah, and 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 you see, you know, uh, Locke's face just being like, "Fuck, I'm gonna have to do this. I'm gonna have to fucking kill him because this is, he will cost me everything. He will cost us everything." And and you just see it, and you see it on his face. You see it on the framing, and then when he does the killing, and like any of the other kills, which are very quick, or maybe not so quick. Some of them are slow, but here is lots of close-ups. Just hit, bashing him uh, on the head with the rock uh, at, many, at many angles. You see Locke's face as he's doing it often and not, not looking happy. Uh, and, and, and you know that this is a tragedy. It's not just revenge, but this is hard on him as much as it is on everyone. Uh, 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 this, is, this is very hard on him. Not, not harder than on Big D since Big D is dead. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, this is very hard on him. And then the movie just... After all of that hits you with that pop song, but in the sad tone, and you're like, "Yeah, this is good. This is good. I knew it's gonna happen, but it doesn't matter. It, it, you can feel the gravitas of uh, of the of the scene." Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like up to that point, it's playing all these different notes and it's working super well, and then it 
finally sort of hits like a more emotional chord i feel like at the end mm-hmm. and I, I think it really packs a punch um yeah yeah so you know if we're, if we're ever fishing and uh you you suggest uh kicking me off of film to film uh i just say make sure there's no big rocks around <laughs> um <laughs> now uh, now um on a on a side note on this scene which uh, i mean i had to sort of um <laughs> the the <laughs> the burying of the of the dead bodies they should have used a dummy like most of the time i say like don't use a dummy but the burying here i thought dummy might have been helpful because um <laughs> you have a uh, big d uh, the actor uh tony leong Kafai. yeah yeah him on uh Mrs. big tony d. uh Maggie Shu. Yeah. So you you have both of them on that hole as he's literally shoving like dirt straight at uh, uh Kafa's face. And you see his face he has he has facial <laughs> expressions because it's just bam hitting him on the face like over and over and he kinda of moves too. And you're like I mean they this is a human being you cannot like you can be the greatest actor in the world like unimaginable but if you're getting a hit on like if your face is getting hit constantly with sand or with not even sand like straight up just dirt <laughs> yeah you're gonna flinch like it's just inhuman yeah. to think otherwise maybe that's why they gave him the best actor they just felt bad for him <laughs> that he had to endure through that scene I mean, I just thought that was pretty hilarious. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you know who else wanted to use a dummy there? Uh, Tony Lang, Kafai. Uh, <laughs> I bet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, he definitely twitched a couple times, and you're like, no shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I know. Now, this movie also had, a, a, I guess, a, another thing. I don't know how close we're from wrapping up, but uh, I did like other comedic moments in this movie, like for example how they almost burnt the uh, baton. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was that was pretty funny because you know, like the guy who actually knew where the baton was, uh, he he was not going to give it to them at all. He's not going to tell them that they were burning it, but they had to they figure it out by how he was acting because they were building that fire. <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, yeah. I was just like, oh shit! That that would be it. Would be pretty funny if they had burned that shit down. Yeah, lots of small details like that. I mean, I feel like there's like ten of them, or like hundreds of them that were probably missing too, and not even uh, remembering. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Uh, well, uh, any other um, scenes you wanted to bring up? Um. I mean, there's the the big. I mean, there's the one big fight scene in mainland China. I think the, all, all many of those uh, th- those were happening on mainland. Yeah, where, yeah, I think so. <clears throat> where you have uh, Jimmy, who at first you you don't know it's Jimmy, uh, and then Jimmy comes out of nowhere, and the uh, the motorcyclist I forget the, the uh, Jet, 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 yeah, and and Jet gets macheted while he's still killing everyone. And it's just like somehow survives. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I like how at the end it's like all of these characters like 
sacrifice so much to get the baton. It's like uh, Big Head gets beaten up. And then, like, in the end, him and Coon end up on the same side. Like, Coon runs over a cop. Uh, mm. Jimmy and Jet, I mean, like, they don't even know who's on the same side. It's like there's so much friendly fire. It's like Jet throws, like, white paint all over Jimmy's car and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and, like, at the end, they all end up on the same side, and they end up taking, like, the oath together, like, 20 minutes later into the film. Uh, so I like I like how that's done. Yeah, I I, I mean I, as usual, I think the uh, action of it was uh, pretty competently done. Um, yeah, it, it felt raw, which is kind of a, one nice thing about this. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is like if if your only exposure to sort of Hong Kong cinema is like Jackie Chan or Bruce Lee or something like that, this is just a totally different beast than those films. Right. Because I mean, like I, I've seen so with Hong Kong uh, crime thrillers that I've seen. They tend to be, you know, more shootouts and things like that. And then uh, the other Hong Kong films that I've seen is more like martial arts and things like that. But I mean, this is by raw. I mean, it's just like very slow. Again, from far away, not like from an interesting distance, a slow, you know, shank, uh, uh, impalement of someone with a machete or the guy getting hit with the machete like straight on his shoulder and then he's pulling that machete off the shoulder. All those things, that that kind of rawness I had not seen actually uh, in, a, in other Hong Kong films either. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, especially, I mean, those are probably the films most people get introduced to for Hong Kong. But, you know, the place has a ton of range. And uh, this film is also a genre film, and it's uh, pretty entertaining. Um, so a little bit more on Johnny Toe. I, I sort of skipped over this stuff at the beginning, too. Is like, unlike a lot of sort of his contemporary uh, sort of like, uh, I don't know if you want to use like the term auteurs or just directors in East Asia or even in America, uh, like people like Quentin Tarantino or Bong Joon-ho, like those people are making films very, very slowly. Uh, Johnny Toe um, is probably one of the most significant, if not the most significant sort of like post handover uh, filmmaker in Hong Kong. And he has been extremely prolific. He founded a company called uh, Milky Way uh, Images, uh, Image, sorry, uh, in Hong Kong. Um, and he uh, has been one of like the people that's just been uh, doing a ton of films per year, uh, sort of as being the sort of one of the key players in that company. Uh, he's also the director that they go to the most often. So, for instance, in this range, in 2004, he released, he produced and directed. Uh, three films in 2005 he produced and directed only this so it was a slow year for him 2006 he produced and directed two films and produced another so the guy is uh, extremely prolific he was producing and directing about three films per year um, just sort of around this time so it's amazing the amount of uh, detail and stuff like that that goes into this film uh, when the guy is cranking these films out almost at the same speed that the uh, Italian's were in like the 1970s uh, in films that are, I mean, in my opinion, are at least are, are a lot less well thought out and crafted uh, in terms of characters and depth and stuff uh, than this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes, yeah, that's pretty impressive. Um, uh, uh, so uh, another quick question, just give me your initial reaction. Election or Infernal Affairs? as far as uh, a Hong Kong gangster film from the last 20 years? What's your pick? They're both very different. Um, they are. I, I, I mean, whatever answer I'll give, it's probably not going to be a fair answer. 
but as of right now i feel like elections uh, okay. or election um uh it, infernal affairs if it's not my favorite hong kong crimes film uh i think i've seen a few and uh, i don't remember the other ones uh i do remember Infer infernal affairs mainly because uh of the departed which mm -hmm. to me is the superior film even though it's a remake <laughs> uh, sacrilege on my side but um it's been a hotly contested question for the past 15 years yeah i know uh and that and uh infernal affairs gets kind of long to me it gets just too weighty uh -huh. and uh and, well this one is just quick and quick and dirty <laughs> yeah yeah, fair enough. Um, I, I think I also tend to pick this film. Um, I'm also in probably the unpopular camp of preferring The Departed to The Infernal Affairs. Uh, so I think we see eye to eye. I mean, I like Infernal Affairs plenty. Uh, I think it's quite a good film. But uh, I, I tend to like sort of like this dark and gritty uh, versions a bit more. It's our, it's um, our, our colonized mentality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Something like that. Uh, okay. Uh you know, and the other thing I wanted to add about Johnny Toe, too, is he's known for doing a bunch of genres as well, uh, including, like, romantic comedies. And mm. I will say that if I have any complaint about him, it's I do not have the same sense of humor as him in a way that I wouldn't say about, like, someone like Bong Joon-ho. So his films can be a little hit or miss depending on how much humor. And I don't think it's coincidence that a film like Election, which it has, you know, a little bit of dark humor sprinkles, uh, in it, but is mostly uh, uh, kind of in the dark and gritty genre. Uh, I think tend to be my preference for uh, for him. Um, I'm, I'm trying. I was try trying to think of uh, another filmmaker who, at some point, was uh, shitting out a crap ton of movies. Uh, would you say Robert Rodriguez could be uh, comparable like that? I mean, he, he did. He's I probably know, the hmm? closest, but he's probably still even like half the pace of uh, Johnny Toe. Hmm. Yeah, you're right. I, I think he was he was pooping out at least like one movie a year. 2005 being like the one with the most movies, and that was three. Yeah, I mean that's still pretty impressive. I mean it's also different studio systems. It's like if you set up like Johnny Toe is in charge of his own studio and stuff like that. So having that sort of infrastructure around him, I'm sure helps. Like he didn't get a writing credit for this film, so obviously he wasn't involved uh, in like the the actual writing of it yeah um uh, one last thing i wanted to add this is just very random before we go to who won the movie and rating uh or if you want to kick anything else too you're welcome to um it's just i i also like how the film also shows people always eating um it's nice to see uh it's yeah. like it's very natural to see i feel like a lot of hollywood films or or films that you're used to it's like they sort of like beat around the eating probably because it's a lot easier to shoot without just sort of having like people biting into like a chicken drumstick or something like that but this film seems to actually show like different dishes uh and like have people just eating like dim sum or or uh chicken at the beginning or or whatever or or, or a spoon even right. <laughs> i hope they didn't have to do too many takes of that one i mean yeah I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I don't know if I hundred percent agree. I, I think you know, uh, gangster movies actually focus a lot on eating too. Like, okay, fair enough. Uh, Scorsese. I, I think of Scorsese at least like a couple of like eating or drinking scenes. Yeah, you're um, right. 
uh, even I mean, the Godfather. Godfather. Yeah, yeah. They have uh, uh, the what's his name? Uh, <laughs> the guy like that's teaching uh, them how to cook uh, tomato sauce. I think. Yeah, uh, I, I think, I think eating is. I'm not gonna say like that this film copied a trope, but I think it, eating is a, an element of a gangster of a good gang, gangster movie. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, fair enough. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, anything else to add before we go to who won the movie and ratings? No. Let's just go for it. Okay. Well, who won the movie? Um, I want to say um, between Johnny Toe. Um, yeah, Johnny Toe. Okay. If you had to give it to any acting performer in the film, who would you choose? I really liked... Uh, it was, you said Big Tony? Yeah, Big Tony. Tony Leon Coffey. Yeah, I really like Big Tony. Yeah. Yeah, he. I mean, he's uh, he's the one that won the uh, acting award too. I would probably agree. Uh, there's some other good performers in there, but he's the standout. Uh, I'm going to give who won also to Johnny Toe. I think it's just hard to give it to anyone else when I think it's such an ensemble cast. So it's hard to single out um, an actor as being like the single most important thing. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, and rating. Uh, this is eight and a half. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that is exactly the same rating I was going to give it. So uh, I, I guess we see very eye to eye on this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, next time we'll uh, bring on good old Reese and uh, Matthew uh, Broderick and uh, we'll, see, uh, we'll see we'll see the, uh, the election double bill. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know anything about the other movie, actually. Have you seen it? I have. It, it's a decent film. I, I mean, I, I'm a generally a fan of Alexander Payne, who's the director there. Uh, oh, okay. But, I don't know. It, it's okay. It's a drama. It's been a few years since I've seen it. But what, what other movies has Payne done? Um, sideways, uh, downsizing. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, couple fil- films like that. I think I've only seen Sideways. That's the one about wine. Yes, yes, that's the yeah. one about wine. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, that wraps up this episode of Film to Film. Uh, thank you all for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you all in two weeks. Yeah. Ciao. Ciao.